Hello and welcome to PW KidsCast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Marie Rutkowski, whose previous books include The Shadow Society and The Cronus Chronicles, which includes The Cabinet of Wonders, The Celestial Globe, and The Jewel of the Calderash. This spring, Rakowski is starting a new series, which begins with the novel The Winner's Curse. The book is being published in March by Ferraro Strauss and Giroux, which is sponsoring this podcast. The Winner's Curse takes place in the powerful Valorian Empire, which has vast holdings thanks to its conquests and the subjugation of neighboring peoples. 17-year-old Kestrel is the daughter of an important Valorial general, and when she purchases a Harani slave, caught up in the excitement of the auction, events quickly spiral out of control as the two begin to fall for each other amid larger social upheaval. Marie, thanks for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. Well, maybe we should start off with the idea that gives the book its name, uh, The Winner's Curse. Basically, I think it involves sort of uh, biting off uh, more than one can chew or more than one expected. Uh, Can you talk a bit about how that idea came your way and where it took you? Sure. The Winner's Curse is actually a term in economic theory, and it describes what happens at an auction when somebody wins something up for bid. But the fact of winning is actually predicated on having paid too much for that item. Essentially, the winner of the auction has um, has only acquired the object by bidding more than what everybody else thinks that object is worth. This concept was explained to me by a friend who's an economist. We were sitting in the children's playroom of our building. And I was really drawn to the phrase, to the beauty of it, and to the idea of something that is a bit like a Pyrrhic victory when you win, but you also lose at the same time, or that winning comes with a really great cost. And so I tried to imagine a story that would fit with the title, The Winner's Curse. And when I began uh, brainstorming about this, what I really wanted was to Imagine a situation where somebody won something that exacted a steep emotional cost. And I kept trying to think of, you know, what could this item up for bid be? What what could cause something really emotionally costly? And then it occurred to me, what if the thing up for auction were not a thing, but a person? And what would winning cost somebody then? In your afterward to the book, uh, I think you also mentioned taking inspiration in part uh, from antiquity, especially the relationship between the Romans and the Greeks. What sort of research did you do, uh, and did you find anything surprising? And, and was that sort of how you got from this sort of economic theory then to the culture that you built in the books? Well, many years prior to that conversation in the children's room of um, our building, I had taken a class on ancient art in college, and this was... Oh, God, I don't want to think about how many years ago this was, but a long time ago. And I remember um, my teacher commenting on how the Romans, after they conquered Greece, felt culturally inferior to these people that they had, um, had subjugated militarily. And the professor mentioned that uh, it it would happen that in Roman households, there would be Greek slaves who would recite poetry, would teach their children. And even at that time, I was really fascinated by this, um, this inherent tension that seemed to be there where you had somebody who had all the power physically 
and somebody who had a sort of cultural cachet but had been essentially captured and um, transformed into an object for you know the, the Romans bidding so it was not that I actually did any research on that topic, but rather that I had learned something that stayed with me for a very long time and then came to the surface when I was thinking about the winner's curse, mm-hmm. the, the economic phrase. In terms of actual research that I did, um, probably the most important thing was for me to read Thucydides, the history of the Peloponnesian War. And it was very useful in terms of thinking about how um, war is is enacted and you know how how you could defeat the siege engine for example but i think what was most important to me were the moments in the book that contemplated why people go to war and um, how people who want to go to war can pressure others to do so one of the things I really enjoyed uh, in the book was with both Kestrel and Aaron, um, how roundly skilled they are. Uh, you know, not only is she a talented fighter, but both of them are these sort of incredible strategists, which I suppose is something that, you know, both of those sides are important when one is uh, at war or in conflict. Is it fair to say that uh, intellectual prowess um, maybe is going to be as, as important as physical prowess in these books as, as the series progresses? Well, I would say more so. Uh, than physical prowess. And actually, Kestrel is not a skilled fighter. She's somebody who has been forced to train because her father is the highest ranking general in the, in the military and very much wants Kestrel to be part of his world. And she has tried for many years to please him and to be what he has wanted her to become. And so she is basically up to snuff. She can defend herself okay. She's she's not a terrible fighter, but it is certainly not something that she's good at mm-hmm. and something that she fails at quite frequently, much to her father's dismay and to her own. But definitely her mental skills, which relate to her military skills um, in terms of military strategy, I mean, that is, that is key. And I, I also would say that Although Aaron is both intellectually gifted and has a certain amount of physical prowess, his physical prowess is not uncomplicated. He is somebody who uh, was enslaved when he was nine years old, and if he had been left to his own devices, if he had been allowed to grow up the way that he had been growing up, he would have been somebody who was maybe a little bit weedy, um, not particularly athletic, somebody who read a lot of books, and he has been forced to become physically something that he never would have wanted to become. And so even though he has a certain natural gift for um, fighting, and even though he is physically formidable, he is not at all comfortable with that. And I think it's very hard for him to be in a body that he never wanted to to have. So why do you think you ended up putting such an emphasis on, I guess, intellectual prowess and intellectual powers uh, with these characters? For me, The Winner's Curse is uh, fundamentally a love story. And also for me, I think that smart is very sexy. So one of the things that I, I personally find appealing and that I hope readers will find appealing is seeing two people who are very attuned to the world around them, very observant, 
very strategic and able to do a kind of mental dance with each other. There's this society where duels play a part. I feel like there's a certainly an emphasis on honor in the book, but yet at the same time, it's, it's very hard to find anyone with a real concrete moral high ground. Um, you know, there are awful things being done on all sides. Does that play into the nature of the story you want to tell about war and how we go to war? Is, is that something that you think is the nature of uh, conflict and conquest? Absolutely. I also think it's the nature of um, how even people who are not directly engaged in war live. How do we live with the legacy of violence that has happened in our culture in the past? Um, to what degree are we responsible for something that we might not have directly participated in? These questions haunt me as a person. And it is also the case that some of the novels that have had the greatest impact on me as a reader have been ones that have questioned ethics or shown tricky moral situations. Um, I've thought a lot about Henry James's novels And in particular, something like Washington Park, where um, you have a character, the doctor, who's the father of a a girl who's fallen in love. And her father, the doctor, is, is certain that her suitor is only after her for her money. Um, and the doctor is right. But the way he goes about trying to prove it is so horribly wrong. And I find a fascinating tension in moments in books where characters are both so right and so wrong. And this is something that I I have consciously tried to recreate um, for almost all of my characters in The Winner's Curse. And so, you know, between the the dueling scenes, uh, the, the tile game that Kestrel plays, you include a lot of detail about uh, about the world itself in the book and its customs and traditions. Thinking about this book, but also the Shadow Society or, or your Kronos books, is that sort of really de- detail oriented world building something that you kind of love to dive into with your writing? Yes. In my other non-author life, um, I'm a professor of Renaissance literature and. I think that something that has long drawn me to uh, studying a, a period of time and a culture that is so distant from us is just trying to imagine how things were and trying to recreate an image of what it, what it would have been like to walk into a tavern during Shakespeare's time in London. And something that's interesting about how I was uh, creating the world of the winner's curse is that at first um, at first I began by writing something that was more traditionally fantasy or I was trying to figure out how to write something that was really fantasy that had some kind of magical element to it and I got rid of that very early on within the first chapter because it felt superfluous. And because when I thought about it, what I really wanted to tell was a human story. And so in terms of genre, this book is maybe a little weird or at least different um, and not something that is is seen typically because it's technically a fantasy because it's in this whole other made up world that I've created, but there is no fantasy in it. Um, there are no dragons, there's no magic, there is nothing like that. It really, the focus is on people and why and how they do the things that they do. And what is the planned uh, scope of the series? Is it, is it a trilogy? Is it longer? Do you know where it's headed? I do know where it's headed and it is a trilogy. 
the second book is written in and is being edited. And I have a pretty clear vision for how I want the third book to go and for how it how it will end. And uh, its ending will be pretty definitive. I don't imagine that I would be writing a fourth one after this. The story will uh, conclude with the third book. Um, now, The Winner's Curse uh, isn't available just yet, at least at the the time of this interview, but have you been getting early feedback either from fans or other sources? I have gotten some feedback from bloggers especially, and it's been really exciting. It's um, it's thrilling to see them in the process of reading it too, um, where they'll post something on Twitter about where they are in the book and how they're reacting to something that's, that's happened. Um, Sometimes I'm surprised by the vehemence of of their responses, I suppose, even by how excited or upset that they might get um, or find something really shocking. Mm. But of course, nothing shocking to me because I wrote it. <laughs> Do you often hear from a lot of uh, readers with questions about uh, the Kronos books or your other work? I do, though for the Kronos books, um, I mostly hear from children, from you know kids who are in third and fifth grade, and I love that. It's really, it's really adorable when I get fan mail from them or or questions, and sometimes they, sometimes I get emails from kids who really want me to write a fourth book, and they will tell me how they think the book should go. <laughs> To say, not only should you write a fourth book, but I have some ideas for you. In case you don't have any, let me tell you what, what I think should happen to Petra and all of her friends. Very helpful. <laughs> um, so now, is this series basically what's, I mean, and, and of course your work, um, what's consuming your time at the moment? Or are you, are you working on other books? Do you have plans to return to the world of the Shadow Society? I don't have plans to return to the world of the Shadow Society. And I... I don't know what's in store for me exactly after I finish book three of the Winner's Trilogy. Sometimes I think, well, if I still love this world and really want to stay in it, maybe I could write a prequel, and I have some ideas about that. I think, though, that the book that I will will write next will either be... I actually don't know whether it will be middle grade, young adult, or adult. Hmm. It depends on what um, I want to do with it. But it would be about a young boy. And I don't really want to say anything more about it just because it's such a zygotic idea at this point. It's just really, really unformed. Um, And I don't really have time to think about it or plan it until I finish what I'm working on now. Sure. Well, congratulations again on uh, the book of the moment, uh, The Winner's Curse. And uh, thank you again for making time to speak with me. Oh, it was completely my pleasure. Thank you. Once again, I've been speaking with Marie Rutkowski, author of The Winner's Curse, published by FSG. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. <laughs>